We are diving into a new little series in the book of Ephesians over the next few weeks. So for the next six weeks, we'll be kind of sitting down in this one book. Uh, if you are one of those people that like to get ahead and you would love to like start reading, you can just go weekly, Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. What I would love in this series as well is we have a, a different crew of people who will be speaking to you. You'll see at some point in this series our new minister, uh, Seth Milhone, will join the teaching team. And you'll hear from Steve and probably Kelly because we can't go through a series without hearing from Kelly because we all need rooted in wisdom. And Steve and I just tell stories that are halfway appropriate. You'll hear from myself. But what I would love in this series as we go through it would be that if you would communicate, whether it's to Steve or Larry or um, Dylan or myself, if you have a question as you're reading, something that is just in this content that you're like, but I still don't know about that, just fire that off to us. Uh, because teaching within the church context is nothing if it's missing the needs and the questions of the people that are the church. And there are so many different directions that a study in the book of Ephesians could go. Just simply going through chapter 1 this past week, we could have talked about an entire two months worth of messages just in one morning. Because Paul has this tendency to write a depth in his letters that you want to read over and over and over. I would challenge that that is this Holy Spirit anointing that's happening in the writing to make it last generation after generation after generation after generation. Which is why one of the things I love about Echo is that instead of writing these topical directions, the church just roots itself in scripture and says, well, let's just go back to it again because I'm pretty sure the spirit knew where we would be today just as the spirit would know where Paul was when he began to construct the words and somehow this word will work in both places. What I really mean by that is that the Holy Spirit knew that there was a royal wedding yesterday before we would talk about Ephesians 1 just as much as he knew whatever wedding was happening around Paul, right? Did, does anyone want to like give in to the guilty pleasure that you watched this thing yesterday morning? Because I, I, was, I was in. I don't know. I was in. I, we, we're like, like, let's name it and claim it, I guess. I was in. I don't know why I was in. I'm usually never, you can ask my wife, I usually don't care about these things. But for some reason yesterday morning, I found myself streaming this wedding. Probably because I'm a fan of the show Suits, and there was like this character from Suits getting married, and I wondered if like the guy was going to step in and say, no, you're like my wife kind of thing. Um, but I was watching and I wasn't just watching the stream because it's 2018, so you not only watch the actual thing happening, but you watch Twitter while you watch the thing, and you see what people are saying while the thing is happening. And I knew that today I was walking in to teach on this series from Ephesians that we're calling Grafted. And yesterday was a great example of this grafting idea that there's this deeply rooted traditional monarchy that has systems and traditions and practices and lineage and all types of history, right? It's all over Netflix. It's everywhere. And yet yesterday, something new was grafted in. Something joined the story that wasn't part of the story before, and it was all that anyone was talking about that was part of that story yesterday. That, and a few people were talking about Manchester United, but that ended quickly. The conversation around story 
usually gets boring until something new is added to it, until something is grafted in. And over the next few weeks, we are going to talk about the grafting that happens in the kingdom of God through the new covenant that Jesus brings into his story. And specifically today, we're going to talk about being grafted into God's family. Steve didn't know he was teeing us up last week by talking about Echo being the family of God last week, but he teed us up perfectly for this next series, and especially for this morning, because none of us in this room, I don't believe, I don't believe that any of us in this room were directly born into the family of God. We were all grafted in. We were all welcomed in by a God that we don't deserve. We were welcomed in by a creator who spoke us into existence and then drew us into his story at the right time for us. Hopefully you remember that time in that moment. Or you were brought into this story. Being brought into a story that's bigger than you happens all the time. A couple of weeks ago, my family and I were in Florida. We like Florida. It's our second favorite place in the country. We have California. Then we have Florida. Maybe Cincinnati comes underneath there. I'm not sure where I'm from anymore. Because anywhere I go... I start to gravitate toward the culture that's there. I spend a lot of time in Monterey, Mexico. I love Monterey. I love the culture of Monterey. I love the tacos of Monterey. I love the soccer of Monterey. I love the community that I'm part of there. So I would probably put that. Maybe Cincinnati's close, though, because I'm from Kentucky. Right? We don't have cities there. Like, there's a state. There's Lexington. Louisville's part of Indiana because we're a big blue nation. We, we say we're going to Kentucky, right? We call things by counties there. Then I moved when I went to college to Cincinnati and then have been in the area. I was in Xenia, which I don't know if you know it, like it's Tornado Alley. Um, I was there for a few years, and if I traveled anywhere and someone said, where are you from? Cincinnati. Like, I didn't say Dayton. I just said Cincinnati, even though it was Xenia. I'm not sure where I'm from, but I walk into Kenwood Mall and see that, like, where I'm from station, and I'm like, I don't know anymore. Like, a lot of places. Where I wish I was from, though, was either California or Florida. I want to be able to say I grew up surfing, but I didn't. I want to be able to say that I grew up on a skateboard, but I didn't. I grew up on a hill, and it went down on both sides, and I didn't learn how to skateboard. I barely learned how to ride a bike, and I crashed it into a mail truck once. Because there was nothing straight where I grew up, right? You can't skateboard in tobacco patches. It's weird. I wanted to be from somewhere that did cool things like that, but I'm not from there. But when I go there, I want to be part of the culture and the community so badly that I try to figure out how to learn things while we're there, right? So when we go to Florida, we try to be bitten by sharks so that we can fit in. Just kidding. We don't do that. We're fearful of that a little bit, but maybe not enough. We don't have a healthy fear of sharks when we go to Florida. We're just kind of like, eh. For years, we would go to Disney World, and we didn't believe that there were alligators in actual Disney World. Then the story changed, and we were like, wait a minute. Why did we let our daughter walk into that, like, swamp? Um, because Mickey's there? That's not smart. We wanted to be part of the culture that understood how to function there, but we weren't really. Except on this last trip. 
This last trip, we were on a beach. We were seeing a family that we have grown to love, and it's one of my daughter's best friends. And so we had taken her to the beach, and as I'm walking them down on a ghost chase, like we're looking for a snow cone station that does not exist, I walked past this station that said paddle boarding. And I had remembered that my wife... On the last several trips that we have taken, she has talked about how she wanted to be able to paddleboard. And so as I get back, she's like, oh, did you see that they saw they have paddleboarding? And I'm like, yeah, and I saw that it's $20 an hour. We can do that. Why don't you go do that? And I'm thinking, I'll watch the crew of people, tiny humans, while you go paddleboard. So Sarah goes down, and she meets the guy. His name's Steven. And Steven takes a paddleboard out, and he starts to show Sarah and Sonny, our oldest daughter, how you would paddleboard in this ocean. And he's giving them all of the instructions and telling them how far they're allowed to go out and how far that they need to stay in and what could happen if you're about to wreck on the paddleboard and what you should do with that in case it doesn't work out the first time. And he takes her through all of the guidelines to be able to paddleboard in the ocean. Or in the Gulf. And so then I see Sarah go out, and one thing that he didn't tell her to do is how to carry the paddleboard into the ocean. And it was a windy day, so when she picks up the paddleboard, it just like, whoom, just kind of like turns her into a pinwheel and starts just spinning her around and going and going. And then she gets control of it, and I come over, and it takes both of us getting the paddleboard into the ocean because we're trying to figure the wind thing out. And then she gets in the ocean, she goes out, and in her normal style of being able to do things, within the first, like, two times, she's up on the board. There are other couples that are trying to get up on these paddle boards, and there are, like, girls that are making fun of their guys. It was really funny to watch, because they're just, like, falling off and falling off. Sarah just jumps up on the paddle board, and she just starts taking off down the ocean, and I'm like, that's my girl, right? Like, that's her. That's, yeah, uh-huh. And... I'm watching her as she paddleboards through, and I'm like, we could wake up every morning and do this. We are now paddle. Like, I owned it like it was me now, too, right? We are now a paddleboarding family because my wife can do that. She tries to teach Sunny. Sunny gets a little nervous at first, and waves come in, knock her over. Brinkley and her friend Kaylin get on the paddleboard, and they get pushed around for a while. And by the end of the afternoon, we have a little bit of time left, and Sarah comes, and she's like, do you want to paddleboard, too? Yeah, absolutely. So we go out, and then Sarah teaches me what worked for her, and I jump up on the paddleboard and go off. And within a couple of hours, we are now a paddleboarding family from Florida, right? Because we can do it. Sunny even gets up, and she's just like, look at me. And she almost runs it into this, like, sandbar thing and dies. And at the end, we're like, this was the best day ever because we are paddleboarders because we spent two hours on a board in the shallow water of the ocean. This is the letter to the Ephesians from Paul. There was an understanding from several people who had been around Jerusalem after Jesus, and they had come to know the gospel that is Jesus Christ, and they were starting to talk about his story, but then they went home. They left. They went away from where they were living, but they were going home going, look, we paddleboard. We've got it. Death, burial, resurrection, kingdom of God, we understand. And then Paul is introduced to these men and women in churches that are on the fringes of where he had been going on his missionary journeys, and he finds out that there is a story happening where people believe that they belong, but they don't know yet. And so he writes this letter saying, let me make sure you really know what it looks like to be from here. 
because I think we're making some mistakes, but not in the mistakes of the massive overwhelming, you are deconstructing the kingdom of God and making it a mess, but you don't understand how rich this kingdom is, and I want to write to you about what it really looks like to be from here, right? It's the person who says, you think you're from here, but you paddleboarded once. I want you to show you what the sunrise looks like. Let me show you the sunset. Let me show you that we have mountains here in California. Let me show you that we have a beach. Let me, they wanted to show you what it really looked like, and Paul starts to write this letter saying, this is what it looks like not to visit us but to be grafted in as part of our community so that you can talk like you really know the richness of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. So this is the startup for Ephesus. And as they receive the letter, it's an introduction of saying, first and foremost, I want you to know grace and peace. And then he starts with three basic things for those who are grafted in. And we're going to dive in starting with verse 6 or verse 4. I think it's 827 if you're in a blue Bible this morning, if you need that. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption. Hold on, Arminians, I'll get back to it. For adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one who he loves. Paul did not grow up with Twitter. He does not understand few words. The verses of actual 3 through 12, at least 12, in Greek are all one sentence. English teacher's nightmare. Like it's all one big sentence. What do we learn from that? Paul was so excited to say what he was about to say about God and Jesus, he did not stop. He just kept saying, and you get this from this, and through this, and into this, and this. But I think there are three key things. It's first, that we were grafted in by God. That the first thing that Paul wants us to know is that we were grafted in by God. If you look at it, that we were grafted by the Father, the first he says that he chose us before the foundation of the world. There's a lot of debate here, Calvinism, Arminianism, if you're into that thing. Did he choose us? Did we choose him? Right? It's rough. I actually wrote my thesis for my master's degree on this idea called open theism, which is just kind of a mess. But it's an attempt to marry the two together of God's sovereignty and his foreknowledge and free will, like the three together. It's like this effort. I won't bore you with all of the details, but when some scholars, scholars that I align with for the most part, when it says that he chose us before the foundation of the world, they would say that God's sovereignty and his foreknowledge came to light the moment that God thought through an idea that he wanted to make into existence. There is no proof that this is the only creation God ever created. The proof is that when God chose to create this created this creation with man made in his image, he would have known the moment that he had thought about creating all of this, what the possible outcomes would be, right? Dr. Strange moment for God right there. All possible outcomes happened and then infinity war. Only one can it work out well for us in only one, right? 
this is it. Like, this is Infinity Ward, like, straight up stole from the gospel of Jesus. Because there's only one possible outcome that works out well if you want humanity in the image of the creator. And so the moment that he thought, I want to create a world where I and my creation, a part of my creation, are one, there was only one possible outcome that would work out in our favor. And so Paul is claiming that when he says, he chose you before the foundation of the world, when he said, I want intimacy with my creation, there was only one possible outcome, and he chose it. He chose it knowing going in. He didn't make it up on the fly. He didn't go, oh no, you're going to have to die. Uh Uh-oh, we're surprised. He came into the story saying, I choose them no matter what the cost to me. I choose them. That's affirming. It's affirming whether or not he even dialed into the minutia of the decisions that wouldn't make any sense to us. The ones that would wound us. The ones that would bring significant pain to us, the ones that would confuse us, the ones that would cause us to run away, all of those decisions, he said, it's so worth it to be with them that I will overcome all of that so that we can be together. I want them that badly. That's affirming to me because life is a mess sometimes, right? Sometimes you don't get up on the paddleboard the first time. The second thing that it says in that passage is that he planned to adopt us as daughters and sons from the very beginning. He planned to graft us in. From the moment that we were into existence, he predestined, is what it says, us as sons and daughters into his kingdom. Let's pause on the predestined word there. Let's see what that means because a lot of times we want to take that and we want to personalize that word and say he predetermined the elect and he did not predetermine those who were not elect. But the problem with this passage is that there is no reference to a singular conversation that Paul is having with a believer. When he says we... He's talking about Israel. We were predestined, and he actually goes in later to say first, like we knew about this story first, nation of Israel. We were invited into this story through Abraham. We were invited into this story to bring about this thing. And so what he's saying is we were predestined to carry a covenant to usher in another covenant. He wasn't saying we were the ones that were picked and you didn't make it. It's not singular. It's actually very plural in the way that Paul is having a conversation. And so he's saying, I predestined, God predestined all to be sons and daughters in his kingdom. And when his timing for that was going to happen would be part of the story that he knew that got us to the only way the one time worked. But it wasn't ever to leave anyone out. And then the third thing that it says in verses 4 through 6 is that he offers his grace through Christ to us. That he gives us the grace. So we are grafted into the family of God by the Father because we were chosen, because we are adopted, and because grace overwhelms us through Jesus. That's the only way into the family. How does that affirm you this morning? Then Paul goes on and says in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, his as in Jesus, as in the Christ, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect 
when the time reaches their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Still all one sentence. This is maddening. But it's by the Father through the Son. So in this pocket of this massive sentence, what Paul is telling us is that through the Son we are redeemed. We are brought back from whatever mess it was. That from the beginning, if God was going to speak this plan into existence, he knew that he would have to go back and bring out what was broken into something new, which is why this series is called Grafted. In Romans chapter 11, there's a story about an olive tree, and Paul uses that as an illustration of saying, this is the tree built from Abraham, family tree conversation here. It comes out, and the sap from the tree brings nurturing to the tree, and the branches start to grow. But sometimes branches get broken. And instead of taking broken branches and leaving them or just cutting them off, it says that the, the one who is pruning the tree will graft a branch, a healthy branch or an offshoot, either from that tree or from another tree, into the tree. And it grafts it in by cutting it in and putting it into where it's connected to the sap so it gets connected all the way down to the root and now it becomes part of the tree. Redemption happens when those of us who are connected to the tree have something is broken and God does not say, I'm going to keep that broken limb as a reminder to you, but he cuts it off and then grafts a new branch into our tree. Sometimes when we have a bad daddy gives us a different one to step in and play a role as father. And it grafts in and our tree changes. I live in that world with adoptive and foster care, vulnerable children work with back-to-back. Where biological fathers are pretty absent. But dads don't seem to be. Because these men are drawn to these young orphan students and they just continue to nurture them and their family changes. I have a friend who lives in Mason who calls her son, who has been an orphaned student who lives in Monterey, and for the last eight years she's treated him like a son, even though, like, visas and future walls and stuff keep them apart. Why? Because sometimes God just grafts something in to take something that's broken and make it grow, but it grows in a direction that maybe you weren't planning in the beginning, because that's the way... Jesus redeems. It's by giving us something new that will produce fruit that we didn't even know our life was capable of. We're forgiven through the Son. Paul then says, we know God's will through the Son to join Him in His work. And then he also says in that passage, at the end of that passage, he says, we receive the riches of His kingdom. We don't talk often about the riches of the kingdom of God. But in Ephesians, Paul is going to reference it eight different times. He's going to reference grace 12 times. And then he's going to reference in Christ 27 times in this passage. The riches of the kingdom, the grace of the kingdom, only come through the Christ of the kingdom. It's mentioned over and over and over. So we are not grafted just by God into the family. We are grafted by God through Christ in the Spirit. And that's the last part of this that we'll go through this morning where it says in verses 11 through 14, in Him we were also chosen, 
having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, Israel reference, right? Go back to that thought on predestined. Those who were first were Jews in response. Might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So he gets to the praise of his glory. When his long sentence is over, a... This is Paul doing happy dance. He gets all the way to that point, and then he's like, to the praise of his glory, right? Get your best Steve voice there. I need to stand down here, right, and do that. That's it, right? Like, to the praise of his glory happens when we connect by God through Jesus in the Spirit. But there's something really crazy that happens in this text is that from the beginning until halfway through this part, it says, we we, 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 Paul is talking on behalf of Israel all the way through this thing. We were there in the beginning. We were predestined in the beginning. We were the first ones to respond to the hope. Now, you, those of you who live in places that did not come from the line of Judah, now you. It moves from a we conversation to a you conversation. And in this context, Paul is using the word we to be very inclusive. It changes the story from us, we, those of us who think we're already in, to a story of you, inclusive, you belong to. He makes a drastic shift in the first chapter to any reader that they would see this terminology when he goes into second person that he would be saying oh wait a minute they're talking he's talking about us now because there would be a community of people who believe that Paul was trying to convert them into becoming us but they did not grow up with the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Moses they grew up not being welcomed in but they heard about this Jesus they heard about Christ they took the message they started paddleboarding and they went home and Jesus went with them but they didn't understand Adoption. They liked the through Christ part in the middle, but the Father and the Spirit, no one had said that before because they're not from here. And so Paul shifts his wording and goes from we grew up knowing all of this and we grew up trying to figure this out, but you, first generation believer, but you, community of people that aren't usually allowed to belong, but you, you're in too. Because he had planned to adopt you at the same time that he had planned to adopt us. He had planned to redeem you at the same time that he planned to redeem us. The timing in the story is different between Israel and what they call Gentiles, but we would just call like everybody else. The timing was different, but the gift is the same. So here's my question, really it was for myself. Am I us? 
or am I you? Do I live on that fringe space where I believe that the gospel is still coming to me and I'm not from here and I'm still figuring it out and I'm reading Paul's letter as a, huh, this is for me too? Or has the us shifted from Israel now that we read this in 2018? Is this now the American church that are the us? Because the story has grown over hundreds of years, right? Like it's a difference of who owns the story that is Jesus Christ is different in 2018 than it was in 60 AD. We might have become the us. And if we're us, who's you? Who still gets in? Who gets to belong that doesn't know? Who heard the gospel once and went home? And doesn't know that they can be from here too. Paul ends chapter 1 with this word of saying that the church is the fullness of him who fills everything. He makes another shift. He goes, there was us. We added you. Now there's church. And that is the fullness of everything that started before the foundation of the world. That's what it's like to be from here. Those who have always been join up with those who just walk in the door and we become something that the world has never seen before. And in chapters 2 through 6, we're going to unlock what it looks like to be church. But we have to decide individually do I want to protect us or do I want to go find you? Because the, law, the gospel lives the deepest when those who believe they belong here can go find someone who's not sure that they're welcome. We had rented the paddle boat or board for an hour. Two and a half hours later, Sarah comes walking down the beach with it to see Stephen. Stephen, like he's from the Bible, right? Like it's just, it's worked perfectly on a beach. And he and Jesus were cooking fish. No, I'm just kidding. Um, tacos. And Sarah's pulling this board down and as she approaches him, she says, we owe you for at least another hour. It was so fun, but we know that we went past that first hour. And Stephen's response to her was, did you have fun? And she's like, yes, but we know we went past what our contract was, what our commitment was. How much more do we owe you? Did you have fun? Yes, and then I taught my daughter, and then the other girls got on it, and then my husband even got to go out for a little bit. So we know that it went past the hour. But did you have fun? Yes, we had so much fun. And his final words when he looked at her were, so next time you come to this beach, come and see me and let's hang out again. That's what it looks like to belong. Even before you've really been there or are from there. Because the next time we go to that beach, we're looking for Stephen because he grafted us in and wasn't worried about getting paid for a job. He wanted to make sure that someone understood his community and what it was like to be him. And there's no doubt 
not at all that the next time we show up on his beach, we go find him. Because I want to live the rest of my life paddleboarding with guys like Stephen and pursuing people like Paul. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being the one that we are adopted into your family through. I know there's still things you need to redeem in me and grafting that will still happen, and I trust you with it. Spirit, thank you for being willing to guide us to those who are still you, not welcomed in, not knowing that they can be the church. And this morning, God the Father, I pray for what you have already planned and prepared and foreknown for this church, that we would be us and you and go sent as family teach us how to be more like Stephen and graft more into this place it's through you that we pray amen